0: what is going on cover seven family welcome back to another episode here on the Cover 7 with Mason Pierce podcast. And guys, in today's episode, we are going to be recapping all of the action from Week 7 of the 2022 college football season. And guys, what another great weekend we had as we had Alabama traveling to Knoxville to take on Tennessee. We had Oklahoma State taking on TCU and so many more great matchups. And funny enough, the matchups actually started midweek. So anyway, guys, before we do get started, I just want to let y'all know that before we do begin, Please make sure that you like, comment, share, rate, do whatever you can so that we can get the podcast out there a lot more so we can continue to keep everybody in the world updated on everyday sports news. So anyway guys, thank y'all so much for all the support that y'all do show and like I always say here on the Cover 7 podcast, I don't want to waste y'all's time so let's get right into today's episode guys and to kick off week 7, we actually started on Wednesday so we're finally getting back to having those early week games and that game would be between the Louisiana Lafayette Ragin' Cajuns and the Marshall Thundering Herd, a Sun Belt matchup. Which is kind of funny to think because Marshall just now coming out of the Conference USA, they are now on the Sun Belt. And well, it was an okay game. Nothing electrifying or anything like that as Louisiana would go on to beat Marshall 23-13 as we'd have our first final of Week 7. And then anyway, guys, that would be the only game that we would have on Wednesday. So let's go to Thursday where we actually did have two pretty good matchups. Well, one was at least close, but the first game we're going to talk about and the one that was close was going to be the Baylor Bears traveling to Morgantown, uh, West Virginia to take on the West Virginia Mountaineers. And, you know, for West Virginia, very disappointing start to the season, you know, Barely lost a pit, so it looked like, okay, maybe JT Daniels in this offense would be, you know, pretty for real. Following week, they lose to Kansas at home, which nothing against Kansas. They are a very solid team, but when you look at all the transfers that West Virginia got in the offseason, most notably the former USC and Georgia quarterback JT Daniels, it looked like a game that West Virginia should be able to win. You know, they go on the road in Blacksburg, they beat Virginia Tech, And then they get blown out by UT last week. So it's kind of just a lot of mixed, you know, kind of like, okay, this should be a game that Baylor should win because Baylor, you know, they started out a top 25 uh, team in the beginning of the year. They lost to BYU. That was definitely a crusher for them. And then they would also go and lose to Oklahoma State, which Oklahoma State is a top 10 team. So, I mean, it wasn't like a bad loss. So going into this game, it was really Baylor's to lose, and Blake Shapen, the starting quarterback of the Bears, he looked fantastic in this game, as he would go 14 for 22, 326 yards of passing, and two touchdowns. But unfortunately, he would leave the game after he'd be mid-slide and would get hit in the head. Nothing dirty, it's just one of those bang-bang plays, and ultimately he would be taken out for the rest of the game. So, in, so, so really... That was definitely a huge momentum loss for Baylor. As honestly, you could tell the rest of the game, just the offense did not look the same for the most part. Uh, you know, for Baylor, though, their other weapon that they had in this game, uh, senior wide receiver Gavin Holmes, he had himself a day as well putting up 200 plus receiving yards on seven receptions for a touchdown but ultimately it would be West Virginia they would put up they would pull out the stunner in this game JT Daniels on the day would go 24 for 37 283 yards passing with one touchdown and one interception as JT Daniels would lead the West Virginia Mountaineers over the Baylor Bears 43 to 40 as West Virginia they now improve to three and three and Baylor, they now fall to 3-3. Three three. So great win for Neil Brown and the Mountaineers, especially with Neil Brown, who's kind of considered to be on the hot seat going into this season. At least he's finally got a huge Big 12 win for them. And then for Baylor, I think obviously you could tell not having that their quarterback Blake Shapin was huge for them in this game. Nothing to hold your head on, just overall a very rough game. And also the funny thing about this is, this game now makes Baylor 0 6 all time playing up in Morgantown. So Baylor's never had a win up in West Virginia. So just thought it'd be kind of a cool fact to throw in there for you guys. And now for our final game of Thursday, we had the Temple Owls traveling down to Orlando to take on the UCF Knights. And well, UCF is looking like probably the most dominant Group of Five team this season. John Rice Plumley, the former Ole Miss quarterback, had a career day as he would go 18 for 22. 373 yards passing with four touchdowns and no interceptions on the day um, I mean it was just absolutely a just amazing game by him Ryan O'Keefe one of the uh, UCF's top wide receivers he would have seven receptions for 111 yards receiving on the day with two touchdowns and then also to add on top of that Kobe Hudson he would have four receptions for 121 yards receiving and and two touchdowns as well as UCF would absolutely blow out Temple in this game 70 to 13 as UCF they now improve to five and one on the year and Temple they now fall to two and four But anyway, guys, that would wrap up all of Thursday's matchups. So now let's go over to Friday. We only had one lone game, and that game would be an American Athletic Conference game as we had the Navy midshipmen taking on the SMU Mustangs in Dallas. And, you know, for SMU, They've really struggled to find their identity on defense, especially offense. You know, they have a super talented wide receiver in Rasheed Rice. They have a great quarterback in Tanner Mordecai, who's just made a lot of bad decisions to start this year. So overall, they don't have a bad offense by any means. It's just the defense has got to be able to pick up some of the slack. So going into this game, it'd be interesting to see how SMU would bounce back after getting blown out by UCF last week in Orlando. And you know, to start the game for the Mustangs, they were off to a pretty hot, hot start. Tanner Mordecai would connect to, uh, not to He would connect with Rasheed Rice on a 60-yard reception, which would ultimately end up setting up um, SMU for the first field goal of the game. Tanner Mordecai on the day had an amazing game today, or er, yeah, last night, as he would go 20 for 27, 336 yards passing with three touchdowns and zero interceptions. But Tanner Mordecai would really make his money on the ground as he would have 6 carries for 74 yards rushing and 1 touchdown on the day. Rasheed Rice, he would have a pretty solid day as well as he would have 3 receptions for 74 yards receiving. Kind of shocked they didn't target him a lot more in this game, but ultimately I mean, you can't really blame him also at the fact when uh, other SMU wide receiver Dylan Ga- uh, Dylan Goffney as he would have 4 receptions on the day for 116 yards receiving and 1 touchdown touchdown. And man, SMU, they didn't really have a great offense in the first half as they would only put up 13 points, but they would really get things going as they would put up 27 points in the second half. And then on the flip side, you know, for Navy, they also didn't have a bad day. Their quarterback, Ty Lavatai, he also was pretty solid on the day. You know, the triple option, he would have 25 carries for 120 yards rushing and two touchdowns. And funny enough, towards the end of the game, You know, SMU had pretty much already won. Navy would actually drop back into the shotgun, and they would do pretty solid. As on the day, they would have two passing touchdowns for 138 receiving yards. And, I mean, man, it was just weird seeing Navy, who is predominantly a triple option team, actually be in the shotgun. So, anyway, SMU would hold off the uh, Navy midshipmen late in the game. As SMU, they finally snapped their three-game losing streak and improved to 3-3 and on the season. And Navy, they now fall to 2-4. and And guys, that was really it for Friday. You also had UTSA and FIU, but UTSA, obviously, they would beat FIU. So now let's get over to Saturday, and man, do we have some big matchups that were going on on Saturday. And to kick it all off on the noon slate of games, we're going to first talk about arguably probably one of the biggest games of the weekend In Number 10 Penn State traveling to Ann Arbor Michigan to take on the fifth ranked Michigan Wolverines and you know for both teams They have very dominant run games Penn State with their freshman running back Nick Singleton, Michigan with their Heisman Holt for running back Blake Corum So it's gonna be really interesting to see how both defenses would be able to contain the pre-solid running game of both sides on the flip side You know and then on you know for quarterback play Penn State, they have a very, very veteran quarterback in Sean Clifford, who's going in, I think this year's his sixth year of college football. And then they and then you know for Michigan, they have a very, you know, young quarterback who still has not really had a tough challenge yet, as now they are taking on the 10th ranked Penn State uh, Nittany Lions. So overall, it was just a very interesting game, especially going into this, and man, what a game it indeed was. Michigan's run game had no problem against the Penn State Nittany Lions as Blake Corum, who pretty much has now solidified himself As a Heisman candidate at this point, he would have 28 rushes for 166 yards rushing and two touchdowns. And he wasn't even the leading rusher on Michigan, Donovan Edwards, the sophomore running back for Michigan. He would go off as well as he would have 16 rushes for 173 yards rushing and two touchdowns on the day. You know, we talked a little bit about Nick Singleton. He didn't have his best day by any means, only 19 rushing yards on the day. Sean Clifford also not the greatest, but JJ McCarthy, you know, he didn't play horrible outside of one interception. He would go 17 for 24, 145 yards passing, and one interception, like I just, excuse me, guys, like I just said. And ultimately, it'd be the efforts of Michigan's defense and offense that would lead them to this blowout win over Penn State. 41 to 17 as Michigan they now improve to 7 and 0 on the year in Penn State they now fall to 5 and 1 and guys if you're wondering a little bit why my voice has just changed automatically i just got back home from the oklahoma state tcu game so if you couldn't tell i was yelling a little bit so just bear with me while we get through my voice literally being non-existent so (laughs) but anyway guys the next noon slate game that we're going to talk about is going to be the auburn tigers traveling to oxford mississippi to take on the ninth ranked ole miss rebels and whoa The Rebels, they didn't really struggle too much against Auburn in this game. uh, Jackson Dart, who really didn't even have to throw much in this game, would go 9 for 19, 130 uh, passing yards with three touchdowns and one interception. But it would be the run game for the uh, Ole Miss Rebels that would really carry them in this game. Zach Evans and uh, Judkins would both have over 130 rushing yards on the day. Each would have one touchdown, with Judkins having two actually on the day. You know, on the flip side, then for Auburn, their run game was actually pretty good as well. Tank Bigsby, the star running back for the Auburn Tigers, he finally had his breakout game of the season as he'd have 20 carries for 179 yards rushing and two touchdowns. Robbie Ashford didn't really play that great. He went 8-for-17, 140 passing yards with zero touchdowns and two interceptions. And ultimately, it would be the Ole Miss Rebels who continue to stay alive and unbeaten as they would beat Auburn Forty-eight to thirty-four, as Ole Miss they now improved to seven and zero, and Auburn they now fall to three and four. And I'm telling y'all, Brian Harson, he's—I mean, I don't think I don't even know if he'll last the rest of this year. I thought last week he'd be gone by now, but it's really interesting to see, you know, how much longer that you know Auburn will keep Brian Harson. I know there's a lot with contract situations and everything like that, but it'll definitely be interesting to see how long they actually do hold on to him. But anyway, guys, the next game we have, we're going to travel over to Norman, Oklahoma as we had the 19th ranked Kansas Jayhawks taking on the un- the now unranked Oklahoma Sooners. And well, uh, I don't want to say you could kiss the, the Kansas Jayhawks Cinderella story goodbye, but I think they definitely did come back a little bit more to reality as in this game, Dale- Dylan Gabriel, his first game back from suffering a concussion against TCU a few weeks ago, he would go 29 for 42. 403 yards passing with two touchdowns and one interception so overall a pretty nice day for him Oklahoma would also be able to get it done on the ground as well as Eric Gray the former Tennessee running back He would have 20 carries for hundred and seventy six yards rushing and two touchdowns on the day Marvin Mims would also finally get back in the 100 yard receiving column as he would put up 106 receiving yards and then on the flip side for Kansas You know their offense really wasn't even bad in this game Jason being the backup quarterback after starting quarterback for the Kansas Jayhawks Jalen Daniels would go out with a shoulder injury You know people said he's been out for the rest of the year Jalen Daniels Daniels has sent a lot of things kind of, you know, contra- contradicting that report. So it'll be interesting how that whole thing goes. But Jason Bean on the day against OU, he would go 16 for 27, 265 yards passing with four touchdowns and two interceptions. Devin Neal, Kansas' star running back, would have 12 carries for 84 rushing yards and one touchdown. And then Lawrence Arnold, he would lead the Kansas Jayhawks in receiving with 113 receiving yards and two touchdowns. But ultimately – just Kansas defense could not stop Oklahoma's air raid offense. As Oklahoma, they would go on to beat an upset, which is kind of weird to say Oklahoma upsetting Kansas, fifty-two to forty-two. As Oklahoma, they finally get back in the win column, and as they now improve to four and three. And Kansas, they now fall five and two with their second straight loss. And now, guys, for our next game, we're going to stay in the Big 12, but we're going to travel a little bit south of the border, actually, as we have the Iowa State Cyclones taking on the 20 to 22nd-ranked Texas Longhorns. And, you know, Texas fans and Texas Longhorns, just nation in general, coming off a really impressive win against OU last week in the Red River rivalry. You know, they were looking to have a pretty solid game against Iowa State, who, in my opinion, has one of the more underrated defenses in all of college football. You know, they've really kept, you know, they really kept a lot of really solid teams to pretty much nothing. Kansas, they kept, I think, only like 13 points when they played them. But, you know, outside of that, Iowa State, you know, they're not a bad team. It's just their offense just could never get anything going. But in this game, it was, things got pretty interesting as at halftime. Texas would only be uh, beating Iowa State 14-7. to and you know things were actually you know really getting interesting, but ultimately it'd be the efforts of Quinn Ewers, Bijan Robinson, and Xavier Worthy that would ultimately put the Texas Longhorns over the Iowa State Cyclones. Quinn Ewers on the day he would have a pretty I'd say pretty solid day in my opinion, going 17 for 26, 172 passing yards with three touchdowns and zero interceptions. Bijan John, John Robinson he had a pretty solid day as well, 28 carries for 135 yards rushing and zero touchdowns. And like I talked about a little bit ago xavier worthy the star wide receiver for the texas longhorns he would have eight receptions for 72 yards receiving and two touchdowns on the day and also i gotta go i gotta show some love to iowa state because you know they don't have the greatest defense or greatest offense by any means you know they're not gonna absolutely astonish you with points which is kind of funny saying you know iowa team doesn't have offense because if you look at the hawkeyes well, they'll be lucky to get a touchdown a game. But anyway, we're not talking about Iowa. But for Iowa State on the day, their starting quarterback Deckers, he would go 25 for 36, 329 yards passing with two touchdowns and one interception. Honestly, not a bad you know bad day, especially against a pretty solid Texas defense. Um, Xavier Hutchinson, who I, in my opinion I feel is one of the more underrated wide receivers in all of college football, he would have 10 receptions for 154 receiving yards on the day. No, Noel, Noel as well on the Iowa State wide receiving core, he would have six receptions for 94 yards receiving and two touchdowns. But ultimately, Iowa State would just come up so so short to the Texas Longhorns as Texas they would go on to hold they would hold off against Iowa State and beat the Cyclones 24 to 21 as Texas. They now proved a 5 and 2 and Iowa State they now fall to 3 and 4. And now, guys, for our next game, and one of the last games that we have on our Newton slate is going to be the Minnesota Golden Gophers traveling out to Illinois to take on the 24th-ranked Illinois Fighting Illini. And, well, Illinois had themselves a game. Their star running back, Chase Brown, he went off in this game against Minnesota. He would have 41 carries for 180 yards rushing. Didn't get a touchdown, but, man, what a day he had. Tommy DeVito just absolutely balled out in this game. The former Syracuse quarterback, he'd go 25 for 32, 252 yards passing with one touchdown and no interceptions. A very solid day for him. And then on the flip side for the Minnesota Golden Gophers, their starting quarterback, Tanner Morgan, he would ultimately end up leaving the game after suffering an injury, but he would go 4 for 12, 21 yards passing with zero touchdowns and one interception. So overall, wasn't really a great day for him by any means, but the one bright spot for this Minnesota team was their running back, Mo Ibrahim, as he'd have 15 carries for 127 yards rushing and one touchdown, but there just really weren't any bright spots for Minnesota in this game, as Illinois would literally control this game from start to finish, as Illinois would go on to beat Minnesota 26-14, as Illinois, they now improved to 6-1. and one. Man, did I never imagine myself saying that Illinois would be 6-1 and one at this point in the year. And Minnesota, a team that I was very high on, obviously, Mo Ibrahim, their veteran quarterback, Tanner Morgan. You know, I expected them to be able to do a little bit better, but they now fall to 4-2. and two. And, you know, Illinois right now, they are absolutely on a roll. And now, guys, for our final game on this noon slate, we're going to be talking about Vanderbilt taking on the number one overall Georgia Bulldogs. And, well... There was really no issue for Georgia in this game. They absolutely steamrolled over Vanderbilt. Stetson Bennett would have a great bo- Stetson Bennett would have a great bounce back game as he would go 24 for 30, 289 yards passing and two touchdowns, and ultimately would lead the Bulldogs over the Vanderbilt Commodores, 55-2-0. So great win for the Georgia Bulldogs. And now, guys, the moment that you've all been waiting for and personally the moment I've been waiting for and especially to talk about, we're going to talk about our midday slate of games. And, man, did we have a decent amount of upsets today as the first game we're going to talk about and obviously the game of the week, the third-ranked Alabama Crimson Tide traveling out to Knoxville to take on the sixth-ranked Tennessee Volunteers. And I think, honestly, at this point, Hendon Hooker should probably consider himself to end up going to New York On New Year's as he literally should be a top three Heisman candidate at this point as Hendon Hooker on the day would have a Phenomenal game going 21 for 30 385 yards passing five touchdowns and one Interception, I mean just what an absurd day for Hendon Hooker and to make it better his leading receiver Jalen Hyatt hadn't even I mean he had an amazing game as well He would go he would have six receptions for 207 yards receiving (laughs) Guess what? Five touchdowns on the day for the receiver. I mean, it was just an absolute gorging, that Hendon-Hooker and Hyatt connection. And then on the flip side, you know, for the Alabama Crimson Tide, Bryce Young, first game back after dealing with an injury that he he suffered against Arkansas, didn't have a bad performance. Go. He would go 35 for 52, 455 yards passing with two touchdowns and zero interceptions. Jameer Gibbs, the Georgia Tech running back for Alabama, who's kind of started to get his name a lot more out there, he would have a pretty solid day as well, going 20. He'd have, he'd have 24 carries on 103 rushing yards and three touchdowns. But ultimately, it would come to a last-second game-winning field goal. And it would go and it would go through the uprights just in a weird, you know, just a weird way. But Tennessee would hold on to beat the Alabama Crimson Tide 52 to 49 as Tennessee. They finally beat Alabama in what feels like it's been ye- like absolute decades. And I mean this Tennessee team legitimately probably has an amazing shot of making a college football playoff. I mean, if they are able to win out, win the SEC. I don't see how this team potentially could not end up being the second or third ranked team in the country. And yes, I said it, the second or third ranked team in the country, especially if they're able to beat the Georgia Bulldogs. But just an amazing game overall for Tennessee as Hendon Hooker just continues to absolutely make his case for that Heisman Trophy. And, you know, since we're talking a little bit about Heisman hopefuls, the next game that we're going to talk about is going to be the 8th-ranked Oklahoma State Cowboys traveling down to Fort Worth, Texas to take on the 13th-ranked TCU Horned Frogs, my TCU Horned Frogs. And, you know, I don't want to be, I'm not going to, I'm going to try, I'm going to do my best. I promise y'all, I'm going to do my best to not be as biased as I can. But there's definitely going to be a little bit of bias that is shown. But uh, Spencer Sanders on the day overall, when you look at his numbers, not an amazing day. He'd go 16 for 36, 245 yards passing with one touchdown and one interception. But he was able to really kill TCU in the first half on the ground. As on the day, he would have 11 carries for 68 yards rushing and two touchdowns. I mean, I mean, literally at one point in this game, I almost left before half. I mean, it genuinely looked like Oklahoma State was just gonna run away with this game because at halftime they were leading TCU 24 to 13, and the score really did not give it any help because Oklahoma State just, I mean, they dominated. They dominated us on offense. They dominated us on defense. Max Duggan and that team and, and my team were never really able to get anything going in the first half. But the second half is when all the magic would happen. As in the second half, TCU would put up 17 points to make it a tie game at the end of regulation to force overtime. Max Duggan, a huge part of that. just This man is one of the toughest quarterbacks I have ever seen. As on the day, Max, he would go 23 for 40, 286 yards passing with two touchdowns and zero interceptions. And another really tough son of a gun that I love to death, Kendre Miller. Give him some respect. I'm telling you, one of the top running backs in all of college football. He would have an amazing day, whether it was breaking tackles, spinning off tackles, spinning from tackles. You know, he would have 22 carries for 104 yards uh, rushing and two very, and I mean, very huge touchdowns on the day. But I can't forget the main guy of this game, the main guy who really kept TCU in this game, and that's got to be TCU star wide receiver Quentin Johnston. As on the day, Quentin would have eight receptions for 180 yards receiving and one touchdown. And really, Quentin was a huge part, as he would make a buttload of clutch catches for the TCU Horned Frogs and in overtime you know the first overtime TCU scored a touchdown and then when OU got the ball they really were not able to get anything going but on fourth and nine Oklahoma State would deliver a blow as they would eventually be able to get into the end zone and force a double overtime but TCU would come come up clutch on defense forcing a field goal and then finally that last drive TCU would drive it I won't say drive it all the way down the field, but they would drive it those 20 yards and get right into the end zone off a Kendra Miller touchdown as they would go on to upset the 8th ranked Oklahoma State Cowboys 43-40. As TCU, they now remain undefeated as they improved to 6-0 and Oklahoma State, they now were handed their first loss of the season and they now fall to 5-1. And y'all know that I talked about a little bit earlier talking to y'all about how this was definitely the day for upsets. Well, it just continued to keep going and going as 15th ranked NC State would travel to Syracuse to take on the 18th ranked Syracuse Orange. And well, Syracuse, you know. Their defense was just absolutely electric in this game, as they would not even give NC State one touchdown this whole game. NC State would only have three field goals on the day. And for Syracuse on their offense, their main producer in this game was their wide receiver, Aronde Godson the second, as he would have eight receptions for 141 receiving yards and two touchdowns on the day. Absolutely just, I mean, he was just an absolute key piece for them in this game. Uh, Sean Tucker, he also had himself a pretty solid day. He pretty much got 100 rushing yards on 14 carries for one touchdown. Garrett Schrader, he would throw two interceptions, but outside of that, was pretty solid on the day as he would go 16 for 25, 210 yards passing with two touchdowns, and ultimately Syracuse they would go on to upset the NC State Wolfpack 24 to nine. As, as uh, Syracuse, they also they remain undefeated as they now improved to six and zero. In NC State, they now fall to 5-2. and two. And real quick, before we do move on to our other games, I want to talk a little bit about California taking on Colorado Colorado obviously have one of the they had one of the worst starts to the season. I mean, they just looked horrendously bad from start to finish. And well, Colorado would finally finish their losing streak as they would beat Cal twenty to thirteen. As Colorado, they now improve to one and five. In California, they now fall to three and three. And you know, Cal overall they're not the best team, but. You know they did give Notre Dame a run for their money. I know they would ultimately lose, but you know it was this Cal team's not like a real. I mean, in my opinion, at least I know they're not the best team in the Pac-12, but overall they're not a really bad team. So just a great win for Colorado. I'm happy for their fan base that they were able to finally get that first win because I could only imagine just how it felt being able to finally rush the field after your team finally got their first win this season. And now, guys, for our kind of for. For our last, not for a kind of, for our last uh, midday slate game that I want to talk about. I want to talk about a pretty interesting one as we had the Arkansas Razorbacks going up to Provo, Utah to take on the BYU Cougars. I've completely forgot this matchup even went on today, but KJ Jefferson in his first full game back after suffering an injury, he went off against BYU's defense. He'd go 29 for 40. 367 passing yards with 5 touchdowns and zero interceptions. I mean just what a day by KJ Jefferson. And then to make matters worse for BYU's defensive day, uh you know Arkansas's running back Raheem Sanders, he would even, he would go off as well. 15 uh rushing attempts on 175 rushing yards with two touchdowns as well. I mean, this Arkansas defense – or Arkansas defense. This Arkansas offense was just connecting on all cylinders. And then on the flip side for BYU – you know, they just defensively, they just could not stop Arkansas. And Arkansas would ultimately end up beating BYU, who was a top 25 team for the longest time. They would end up beating BYU 52-35 as Arkansas. They finally get a much-needed win as they now improve to 4-3. and And BYU, they now fall to 4-3 and after I think this is their second straight loss. So, you know. amazing start to BYU season, but kind of slowed down. Same situation with Arkansas, so it'll be interesting to see how both of these teams, they each individually finish off their years. And now, guys, we're going to be talking and recapping all of our action as we talk about the final slate of games from today's games, aka the evening slate of games. And the first one that I want to talk about is going to be the LSU Tigers traveling to Gainesville, Florida to take on the Florida Gators. Now, both of these teams Coming off of just, and eh, weeks last week, you had LSU getting absolutely just destroyed by Tennessee, you know, as we also saw Tennessee just beat up on Alabama's defense, and then on the flip side for Florida, they were coming off a disappointing win, not really able to get much going offensively against Missouri, so both of these teams had a lot of things that they were going to want to be able to bounce back, especially on offense, and whoa. Well, You could definitely say LSU did exactly that as Jaden Daniels, the former Arizona State quarterback, now LSU starting quarterback. Excuse me, guys. He would go 23 for 32 on the day, 349 yards passing, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. And I've said it so many times, Jaden Daniels is not the problem with LSU. He has played fantastic most of this year. It's just been the weapons around him. And, well, the weapons around him... They finally were able to get things going. Kayshawn Boutte, who going into this season was a projected first-round pick, like the I think he's a second-ranked wide receiver prospect. You know, he was supposed to be one of the top wide receivers in all the country. Very slow start to the season. Really didn't see too much action. There was a lot of controversy with him deleting all of his LSU-related, uh, just Instagram pictures, social media stuff. And well, Kayshawn, he finally had a bounce-back game. His first really solid game of the season as he would have six receptions for 115 receiving yards did not get a touchdown but overall a really solid day from Kayshawn, who has been struggling pretty heavily to begin the year and then on the flip side they were also able to get it done in the run game with junior running back Josh Williams as on the day he would have 14 attempts on 106 rushing yards didn't get a touchdown but definitely was able to pick up some decent chunks of yardage for the LSU Tigers and then on the flip side for uh, Florida most of their offense in this game just genuinely came from Anthony Richardson. And Anthony Richardson in this game didn't even play that horrible. You know, he's definitely had a couple iffy weeks. I mean, in my opinion, he got way too overhyped after beating Utah that first week. But you know, things started slowly. You know, slowly kind of go down for him. But in this game, he actually played really solid. He'd go 15 for 25, 185 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interceptions. He also led the Gators in rushing with nine carries for 109 yards rushing and one touchdown on the day. So a very solid day from him. And then, you know, for both of these teams, there was there wasn't a, there was not a lot of defense played in this game by any means. Because when you look at the score, it'll definitely reflect that each side would only get one sack, but LSU would withhold. Kind of a late comeback attempt by the Gators, as the Gators would put up fourteen points in the fourth quarter. But LSU would hold on to get the win, forty-five to thirty-five. As LSU, they now improved to five and two on the season, and Florida they now fall to four and three. And now, guys, for our next game, we're going to stay in the SEC, but we're going to travel a little bit up north as we go to Lexington, Kentucky, as we had the sixteenth-ranked Mississippi State Bulldogs taking on the twenty-second-ranked Kentucky Wildcats. Which I don't know why it has Texas and Kentucky both at 22, but I mean, I don't get it. But but anyway, you know, kind of the big thing in this game for Kentucky was the fact that their starting quarterback, Will Levis, he would actually, this would be his first game back. Not 100% by any means, but having a guy like Will Levis, who's a huge locker room guy, and overall the team plays better with him and you know for his first game back he played really solid 17 for 23 230 yards passing with one touchdown and one interception so a really good day by will levis and then the other will on mississippi state side will rogers their starting quarterback he also didn't have a horrifically bad day by any means either 25 for 37, 203 yards rushing, and one touchdown. But the real difference maker in this game would be Kentucky running back Chris Rodriguez Jr. As he would have 31 carries for 197 yards rushing and Two touchdowns on the day, one being the game-sealing touchdown for the Wildcats. So Chris Rodriguez had a career day, which ultimately ended up leading the Wildcats to a 27-17 upset win over 16th-ranked Mississippi State. So Kentucky you know, started out really hot to begin the year. You know, the kind of they've definitely kind of slowed down a little bit. A loss against South Carolina last week, but they finally get back in the win column. As uh, Kentucky, they now improved to five and two on the season, and Mississippi State, they now fall to five and two. But I still think they're a really solid team, in my opinion. I just think Kentucky, they just honestly had a bad couple weeks. So, but anyway, both these teams are really good, but Kentucky ultimately would get the win over Mississippi State. Now, as we all know, Notre Dame have not had a season that I think a lot of people expected. You know, started off the season, I think they were fifth in the country. Like, they were ranked super, super high, went into Columbus, didn't win the game, but they definitely gave Ohio State their money's worth. So a lot of people expected it to be a really solid season. And then they lost to Marshall at home, barely beat California, and it was just a rough, definitely a rough start to the season. But had a bounce-back win against BYU last week. And going into their game this week as they had the Stanford Cardinal in town, they look to be able to make a decent statement against a team that really should not have even been able to compete with them. I mean, you have Michael Meyer, Michael M- Michael Mayer, sorry, I just watched that new movie. <laughs> you have Michael Mayer, you know, All-American tight end for the Irish, and, you know, just their offense, it finally seemed like it was starting to click. So really shouldn't have been a problem against a pretty weak Stanford defense who we saw Oregon State carve up last week. And, well, you know, me saying that their offense should have performed – was the complete opposite of what they actually did in this game because Drew Pine, who had a rough start to the season, finally bounced back a little bit these past few weeks. He had a rough game as he would only go 13 for 27, 151 yards passing and one touchdown. I know statistically it's not the worst, but when you really watch this game, this Notre Dame offense was just completely lackluster. There was no energy. just It just did not look like how a Notre Dame offense should look. And then Michael Mayer, he would lead he would lead Notre Dame in receiving with 60 receiving yards but not really too much offense going on as they would only have 300 total yards of offense on the day but Stanford, you got to give them credit where credit is due. They played pretty solid. Casey Philkins, a junior running back for the Stanford Cardinal, he would have a career day himself as he would have 32 attempts, which was a career high, 91 rushing yards, and one touchdown on the day. A huge part of that offense, and then kind of one of the more intriguing NFL prospects, Tanner McKee, the starting quarterback for the Stanford Cardinal. Who I know a lot of I know a lot of NFL scouts kind of just really like this kid. I don't really understand it too much, but. I mean, it's probably just because he's six foot six and 230 pounds and definitely is a lot like Davis Mills, who right now is the starting quarterback of the Texans. But anyway, outside of that, um, <clears throat> Tanner would have a pretty solid game, going 26 for 38, 288 yards passing. Didn't get a touchdown or interception on the day, but definitely was able to make a lot of key throws. So overall, Stanford just they played better than Notre Dame in this game. Their defense came in very clutch. Uh, their, um, excuse me, guys their uh, captain safety and senior um, senior captain safety, Jonathan McGill, he would have two fumble recoveries on the day, and he also would have a key play at the end of the game, breaking up a pass that would ultimately give Stanford the, I guess you could say, upset win over Notre Dame, but Oh, and I don't think really considered when beating Notre Dame during this season to really be an upset. But Stanford, they would finally get their first win over an FBS opponent in 11 months as they now improve to two and four, and Notre Dame they now fall to three and three as this rough start to the Marcus Freeman era continues. And the final score was 16 to 14. And I mean, hey, there's a little bit of momentum for Stanford Cardinal fans. So I mean, y'all did beat y'all's rival Notre Dame, but I mean, just. It's, just, it's, it's really tragic to see what has happened with Notre Dame because coming off a New Year's Six Bowl appearance last year to Oak, with, you know against Oklahoma State, they just haven't been able to do anything, and you know unfortunately they just have not been able to get anything going at all on offense, and that's really hurt them, you know, just in multi, many of these games, but. Anyway, guys, enough talk about that. Let's get to another game. And this game was actually a pretty fun game to watch. Now, me personally, I didn't watch a lot of it, but definitely watching some of the highlights, it seemed like a pretty solid one as we had the Nebraska Cornhuskers. You know, Scott Frost, no longer the head coach, traveling to West Lafayette to take on the Purdue Boilermakers. And, well, Purdue's offense, they exploded onto the scene in this game. Aiden O'Connell, the starting quarterback for Purdue, he would have a pretty solid day, at least in my opinion, going 35 for 54, 391 yards passing with four touchdowns and one interception on the day. And Purdue, surprisingly enough, they were able, they were also able to get it done in the run game. Their freshman running back, Devin McCaube, he would have 30 attempts for 178 rushing yards and one touchdown. Absolutely carving up that Nebraska defense, and also they were—they were—I mean, you, I mean, you could already tell by Aiden O'Connell stats, but they were able to really get it going in the air with Iowa transfer wide receiver Charlie Jones. As Charlie on the day would lead the team in receiving yards, as he would have 12 receptions for 132 receiving yards and two touchdowns on the day. And um, you know, on the flip side for Nebraska, Trey Palmer—he had an amazing day. The LSU transfer wide receiver, he would go. Off today, as he would have seven receptions for 237 yards receiving and two touchdowns. So, and you can't really do the math, that is an average of 60 yards a catch. So, yeah, pretty solid day for Trey Palmer, but ultimately. Just would not be enough as Purdue. They would be able to hold on against Nebraska 43 to 37 as Purdue. They now improved to five and two and have been sneaky good in the Big Ten. Obviously they upset Minnesota a few weeks back, which I know Minnesota, they're not really that great right now, but still still it was a really good win at the time. And Nebraska, they now fall to three and four despite winning two straight Big Ten games as they now fall once again. And now guys, we're gonna head out to Salt Lake We're gonna we're gonna head out to Salt Lake City as we had one of the one of the most anticipated games of the weekend as we had number seven USC led by Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley taking on the 20th ranked Utah Utes. Now Utah coming off a disappointing loss last week at UCLA. You know, Dorian Thompson Robinson had a Field day against their defense. They just could do nothing against the run game. Zach Charbonnet also had an amazing game. And then on the flip side for USC, you know, they got battle tested by Washington State last week. Cam Ward was able to throw against that defense. Second half wasn't really as much of a problem, but that first half, there's a lot of things that got exposed that Utah used in this game. Cameron Rising, who personally I love just because he reminds me a lot of Max Duggan, who is my personal favorite quarterback in college football for numerous reasons. But the fact both are veteran quarterbacks, they're both very tough. And, you know, when it comes down to the wire, you know, they will be there and they will be available because Cameron Rising in this game, he probably had his one of his best career games going 30 for 44, 415 yards passing with two touchdowns and no interceptions which was huge for the Utes. he also would lead the team in rushing as he would have 11 carries for 60 yards rushing and three touchdowns one of those being the game winning touchdown now on the flip side Caleb Williams you know, completion-wise, percentage-wise, he probably didn't have his best game going 25 for 42. But yardage and touchdown-wise, he did really solid. He went, he had 381 passing yards with five touchdowns and didn't make an interception. So that was obviously a huge, you know, plus for them. And then for USC receiving-wise, their two top wide receivers, Mario Williams and Jordan Addison, they would both eclipse over 100 yards receiving. Mario Williams, the former Oklahoma wide receiver, he would have 145 And then Jordan Addison, the former Balinikoff winner and pit wide receiver, he would have 106 with one touchdown. Now, unfortunately, with Jordan Addison, he would have to leave the game. I think it was in the third quarter due to getting his leg caught up under a defender. So hopefully everything is okay for the former Balinikoff winner because that would be an absolute huge blow to that USC offense. But in my opinion, the player of the game in this big-time matchup had to have been Utah tight end. Dylan Kincaid as he probably had the game of his life, 16 receptions for 234 yards receiving and one touchdown as he pretty much would almost single-handedly lead the Utah Utes to an upset victory over the USC Trojans, 43-42 as Utah, they now improved to 4-2 on the season. And USC, they are handed their first loss of the year as they now fall to six and one. And also let me correct that. Utah they improved a five and two. My bad. I was looking at last week's stuff. So Utah, they're now five and two. USC handed their first loss. They now fall to six and one. They're not a bad team. That offense is super electric. Obviously, if they do lose Jordan Addison, that'll be a huge blow. But you still have guys like Mario Williams, Travis Dye, and just so many other ones. Freshman wide receiver Michael Jackson the third. No, not he's not related to Michael Jackson. But freshman wide receiver that I know USC is really high on. He had his first career uh, touchdown. So a lot of you know a lot of good things for USC on offense. But the defense. They just got absolutely exploited against Cameron Rising and the Utah Utes. So just great win for Utah as just this day of constant upsets just kept going and wrapped up with this big time upset in Salt Lake City. And guys, that would really wrap up all of the day's action. A lot of teams had a lot of bye weeks this week. So not as many games, but a lot of the games that were played this week were some pretty huge ones. I mean, you had number four Clemson playing uh, Florida State. Just I I meant to put this one on a little bit earlier, but Clemson would go on to beat Florida State thirty-four to twenty-eight. Nothing shocking, but just figured I'd let y'all know a little bit as well. But anyway, guys, that will wrap up all of week seven of the twenty twenty-two college football season. Let me know down below on Instagram, TikTok, here on Apple, here on Spotify, wherever you are listening. Let me know what y'all's personal favorite game was. Mine had to have been the TCU-Oklahoma State game because I was there in person watching it, and that arguably had to be one of the best games I have ever watched. I know Alabama and Tennessee was absolutely a just incredible game if you loved offense. USC and Utah didn't disappoint, and there were so many great matchups that happened today on Week 7. So Anyway, guys, I hope you'll have a fantastic rest of y'all's week. Make sure to check out the NFL uh, the NFL recap for week six that will be coming out tomorrow at 12 p.m. Central time, or sorry, it'll be coming out on Tuesday at 12 p.m. Central time. So make sure to go check that out if you want to get a recap of all of the NFL's action from week six. So anyway, guys, I thank y'all so, so much for all the support that y'all show. Make sure to rate, follow, like, do whatever you can to continue to spread the podcast. And guys, I hope you have a fantastic Sunday and rest of y'all's week, and I will see y'all back. Back here on Tuesday for a recap of NFL Week 6. Peace, y'all.